Well, um, we've been, I've been doing this kind of like, I call, I'm calling it a mini series because this is now week two. So um, we're in between series and I actually want to talk a little bit more about wisdom. So we're going to go back to the opening verse from last Sunday. We talked about James chapter one, verse five. And it goes, if any of you lacks wisdom, so would that be anybody in the room here today? If any of you, I love how it says if. It's just putting this, like it's almost kind of like putting potentially a hypothetical, but it's not really because we all lack wisdom. And the fact if you don't think you lack wisdom proves you do. Amen. And so if any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God. So remember I kept saying, you gotta get your ask on. You gotta be willing to ask God, amen? Not Oprah, amen? Not social media, not culture, not what is, you know, what we call cultural holiness, what the world determines is normal and acceptable. And it says, we should ask God, and how does God give it? He gives generously without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So God is our source of wisdom. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's only the doorway. It's only the gateway. There is so much more to wisdom, but having a healthy fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And when God gives it, He gives generously, And he's not looking at you going, but I know what you thought last night. He's not looking at you going, I know what you did that nobody else knows what you did. He knows. And he gives, the Bible says, generously. Amen. I love that. It says, and it goes, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Isn't that the truth? I mean, you know, just if, if you live your life with some sense of, you know, uh, doubt, the Bible says you're like the wind. You just, wherever the wind blows, the, the sea is tossed by whatever the wind's doing. That's true. I own a boat. I know that story. And I tell you, no matter how strong a current is, if the wind is stronger, the wind will always beat the current. Isn't that the truth? The wind will always determine the, de- the course of a boat if the wind is stronger than the current. And I love this. It goes on and says, that person who doubts should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So I want to talk to you about wisdom. We talked a lot in the first week. We talked about, um, first of all, we got a first principle is ask. You got to ask God for wisdom and you got to believe that you received it. And the second principle was this, that you've got to develop the art of listening and accepting discipline. Listening to and accepting discipline. I love it. It says, the Lord chastises those whom he loves. Do you want the Steve Kelly Bible version of that? Those whom the Lord loves, he beats the hell out of. You ever feel like God gets on you and it's like, God, why don't you get on someone else? And God is never interested in the other person. Isn't that true? I remember one time this lady said something to me, and she was quite nasty, quite mean, and and she said a whole bunch of things to me with colorful adjectives. And and I remember, I just felt my flesh rise up. And I went, yeah, well, and she said, you know, this, that, and the other. And I said, well, you're a zippity-doo-dah, zippity-day. 
And the Lord says to me, you're to go and apologize to her. And I'm just a little brat, and I went, but she started it. That's a, that's a child, right? He started it, she started it. And, and the Lord, and isn't it funny, the Lord's never interested in the other person. He's never, he, ever. He's only interested in when he speaks to you about your response. And the Lord chastises, he disciplines those whom he loves. And he does that with consequences. He does that, if you like, I mean, we're all free to do whatever we want to do. But, and we're all got the freedom of choice, but nobody has the freedom of consequence. Amen? So you can go ahead and do as much drugs as you want to do. Go ahead, do it. You're free. But don't be surprised that the consequences of that lifestyle will actually bring your life to ruins and devastation. You're free to go drink and get drunk as much as you want. But don't be surprised when the damage to you, your health, your liver, your kidneys, your well-being, your work, your family, and the destruction that'll create, you're free, man, free. You do you, but there will be consequences, amen? Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap, amen? So here's the third thought I want to give us, and we had a lot of scriptures and verses that backed all that up, but here's the third principle. This one's big for me. And I want you to catch this. I've got these two words, and it's just a wisdom principle. It has helped Sharon and I navigate our life together. Uh, this year, Sharon has already turned 60. She did that in March. I'm yet to turn 60. I'm still in my 50s. There's a cougar sitting on the front row right here. Actually, in about two weeks' time, I'll have that wonderful, joyous celebration. And I'm looking forward to it. Praise the Lord. And, uh, but, you know, we both turned 60 this year. And this year, we celebrate in November our 40th wedding anniversary. Amen. 40 years married. I know some of you are thinking, we do not look old enough to be married for 40 years, weren't you? Weren't you? And, and uh, not only that, but this this coming January, Sharon and I will celebrate the 25th year of pastoring this church. Now, this church is older than 25, but we are celebrating our 25th year of having arrived here back for me to the United States for Sharon coming to live here. And so over the course of those years, we've managed ministerial challenges, we've managed marital challenges, we've managed financial challenges, relational challenges. We find sometimes people are getting close to you, but it's not to get to really know you. It's to leverage their own opportunity to get out of you what they want from you and then find out how quickly disposable you are. And that's part of life. That happens to anybody and everybody. Amen. So, um, you know, and I, I, want you I want you to understand a principle here. You know, if, if you go in front of your house and you turn the light on, there's no bugs flying around the light, but the moment you turn the light on, it attracts bugs. When you shine, you will attract all sorts of things. Amen? So don't be shocked when you turn the light on. If you're living a life and you kind of think, how do these people find me? It's because you're shining. Keep shining. Amen? But you've got to learn how to build your life with what I call boundaries and bridges. And we live in a world today where so much of the church is being told how to behave and how that we are to
to be inclusive. And I actually do think the church should be inclusive. You need to hear me. I, I think that with all my heart. Yet, God actually has some very strong principles in his word about maybe whilst we are inclusive, who we are careful of who we build relationship with. Does it make sense? And it's learning wisdom to balance this out and to walk this out. So let me give you some Bible verses and see if we can't figure this out. So 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. Don't be misled. This is a great one for parents, by the way, teaching your kids this one. Not to mention the parents learning this one themselves. Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Don't be misled. I've heard people say, I know, I, I know they robbed the bank, but they got a good heart. <laughs> Bad company corrupts good character. Every time you get 10 good apples, but you find one bad apple, and you put one bad apple amongst the good apples, does the 10 good apples change the one bad apple into being good? No. But the one bad apple will absolutely destroy the health of the, of the good apples. Every single time. So let's think about that Bible verse, and let's be intentional, parents, about teaching our kids to have some wisdom and discernment that bad company corrupts good character. It's very quiet in here. Listen to Psalm 26, verse 4. I do not sit with the deceitful, or nor do I associate with hypocrites. Here is the writer of Psalm saying, there are some people I ain't sitting with. I'm just not going to sit with someone who is deceitful, who is known to be a liar and a hypocrite. I ain't sitting with them. And I'm just trying to get us to balance out the boundaries and the bridges is who we do life with. I'm not saying in one sense that we're not going to interact with these sorts of people on a daily basis, but sitting with them is a conscious decision. Do you understand? Okay, so look at this one, uh, Proverbs 24, verse 1. Actually, no, 1 Timothy 5, verse 22. Do not be, this is good for church leaders or for anybody who you haven't taken the time to really get to know somebody yet, and you give them too much influence too soon. Okay, it says, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Now, that first part of that verse is going, listen, don't be quick to put somebody in a position of leadership that hasn't yet earned the right and the privilege to do it. I, I love it. There's people come to me, and I, I guess over my life and ministry life, I've been known to raise up many great men and women of God. And I think mate, there's a few reasons for that. I think, you know, uh, and, and, and there's some tremendous examples of people in ministry today that are doing amazing things for God that I've had the privilege to be influential in their life. So because of that, people come and say, I want you to train me to be a minister. And I'm thinking, you know, it doesn't quite work that way. You don't pick me, I pick you. I recognize the anointing of God on your life. 
And if I see it, you with me here? It's gotta be mutual. It's not just a one-sided, you don't just choose me. And so I remember when, when David began his life in ministry, I love the thought because the Bible says that Samuel came and anointed David to be king. But that was when he was just a little boy. Most people believe he was about 15, 16 years of age. Anointed to be king. I personally don't know, but I kind of feel like he was in his teenage years. The Bible describes him as young, handsome, ruddy, um, and skilled musician, but just a young teenage boy. Do you know, it wasn't for many, many years later that he actually was anointed ultimately to become the king. But you're nothing without that first anointing, God's anointing. You with me here? But how do you get that second anointing? And that's when the people anointed him to be their king. And what was it? Well, the Bible says the people saying, Saul has killed his thousands, David has killed his tens of thousands. So people come and say, give me a campus. I want to be a campus pastor. I go, no one's singing about you. Don't sing about yourself. And no one's singing about you. I ain't hearing a song. Amen? And so the Bible is talking about give people room to prove themselves. Can I just say this for young adults who aren't yet married? Don't just go with your feelings and feel like you fell in love with somebody. Give yourself enough time get to know this person, the good, the bad, and the ugly, because love is blind. And you will not see things when you just want the romantic story and you're being led by your feelings. Amen? So you don't lay hands on somebody too hastily. Take time and do not participate in another person's sin. You can't stop what other people do, but you can keep yourself pure. These are just boundaries. Is that okay? Look at Proverbs 24. No, uh, yep, Proverbs 24 verse 1. Do not envy the wicked and do not desire their company. As a Christian, don't look at people in the world and say, why can they do that? I want that. The Bible says you've got to make a decision now. I've got a boundary in my life. I will not envy what they have. If it's through ill-gotten gain, if it's, you know, through manipulation, we are not to envy what they have. Come on, somebody. And I love what it says here. It says, and do not desire their company. Look at the next verse, 2 Thessalonians. And I actually feel like these verses are self-explanatory. Take special note of anyone, here's Paul writing, he goes, of anyone who does not obey our instructions in this letter. What letter? The letter written to the Thessalonian church. I was going to say Thessalonican. It wasn't a good word. Do not associate with them. Watch this. Why do we do it? In order that they may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. Who are the people? The people who do not obey what I'm teaching you in the letter I'm writing to you. Boundaries. Just boundaries. Trying to figure out how to live our life with wisdom between boundaries and bridges. Look at 2 Timothy 3 verse 5. It says this, having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with such people. Having a form of godliness but deny its power have nothing to do with such people. Titus 3, I love this one. 
warn a divisive person, watch this, once, and then warn them a second time. Then after that, boy, if we could learn this verse, after that, have nothing to do with them. Amen? You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful and they are self-condemned. So here it is. You see somebody who's been divisive, spreading rumors about people, separating friends. Are you hearing me? That's being divisive and saying things that are dividing friendships and people from churches and churches from people. Relationships, they're usually very controlling, manipulative, and they have an agenda. And so the Bible says you warn them. And then if they do it again, you warn them again. Then after that, they keep doing it, have nothing to do with them. And I'm just trying to give you some wisdom from Scripture. Sharon and I had some very dear friends back in, in Australia, very dear friends. They were in ministry with us. And I remember they decided they'd move to New Zealand. And, and they did, and they joined a worship team. And actually, I helped them, her, get a job working in my friend's church in New Zealand, biggest church in New Zealand. I said to my buddy, these are good friends of mine. She's a very gifted, talented musician, the husband I'd led to the Lord myself, um, great, great friends. And over a course of time, these guys got all jacked up with anti-leadership. And, and, and I remember one time, the pastor just went and said, hey, listen, is everything okay? Because you don't look happy on stage when you're playing your instrument. It's a, playing a, she was a musician, very talented musician. Um, and she goes, everything's fine. And he goes, well, you don't look happy. You're looking like, you know, and, and you know, I understand as a musician, you're, pra- you're wanting to take seriously your skill and you're concentrating and doing the very best. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking like a sour demeanor. And he goes, do you think maybe you could just work on that a little? Just try to look a little, just, you, you know, you, you, how you're coming across uh, for the sake of, you know, it's, you know, people are noticing and they're all worried about you to the point where there's been a lot of people and, 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 and this, this person got quite offended, her husband got very offended and I don't know the whole story, but I do know this person and naturally speaking, she, she does have a tendency to try to work on being more positive. Is that a kind way of saying it? Um, and so she got offended and they left the church and they went after the pastor. And they kept saying, we don't believe in tithing anymore. We don't believe that in leadership. We believe, you know, there should not be a senior pastor. There should be a, a co-leadership. And in all honesty, what they were doing was seeking equality of say in leadership in that church. And it was very sad because it came to a point where they, were gonna, they said, we're going to take as many people out of this church as we can. And they went after everybody and anybody who would listen to them. So I warned them. Said, listen, guys, you're my friends. I love you dearly, but this is wrong. You are being divisive. If you don't like the church anymore, moveon.com. Amen? But don't be someone who's sowing discord among the brethren. But it's our mission to take as many people out of this church because it's so wrong. Well, the church is still going great, still the largest church in New Zealand, but this couple are broke and are lost. And I said to him a second time, 
if you keep doing this, I'm going to have to end our friendship. I've got to build a boundary. I need you to know what you're doing is wrong. And they kept doing it. So after that, nothing to do with them. I don't do that to try to chastise them. I do that because I'm not condoning or supporting somebody who is being divisive. There are six things the Lord hates. The seventh is an abomination to him. And the, the Bible says the seventh one is he that sows discord among the brethren. That word abomination literally in the Old Testament, by the way, that word is used, literally means in a New Testament setting, anti-Christ. In other words, it is completely contrary to everything Christ is trying to achieve. You say, why are you sharing this? Because we need wisdom in navigating relationships. Proverbs 22, verse 24. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one who is easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Do not make friends. So the Bible's telling me I've got a choice who my friends are. Amen? Okay, look at this one. Proverbs 20, verse 19. You're all very quiet. Okay, so look at it. It says, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. That's the English version, English standard version. Do not, listen to this. Uh, whoever goes about slandering reveals reveal secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 11 but now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of, of, of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or who is an idolater, a reveler, a drunkard, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. I'm just trying to give some principles of the Word of God here in our desire and our genuine motive to be inclusive as a church. But who we choose to fellowship with and associate with, we've got to learn what some boundaries look like. Somebody say, amen. All right, 1, 2 Thessalonians, verse 3. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we command you, brother, and by the way, I'm reading a lot of Bible verses because I want you to see how much the Bible says about it. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every, watch this, believer, every say believer, who is idle and disruptive. Did you see that? And does not live according to the teaching you received from us. And here is the apostle Paul writing to the Thessalonians, and he goes, I'm just going to tell you, do not listen to all my time. We command you, brother, to keep away from every believer. These are people in the church that you shouldn't be associating with, keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive. Idle. The best person to get something done in life is a person who's already too busy. You know why? They've got a momentum behind them. But if you give somebody something who is idle, they've got no mojo. They've got no sense of continuum. They've got no sense of work ethic. But the Bible says that people who are idle are also, and they're creating disruption. The Bible says, command you, keep away from every believer who do not live according to the teaching you receive from us. Now, let me put that in context. 
There were other teachings out there that other people claiming to be apostles were teaching and trying to pull people away from what Paul was teaching. Paul wrote two-thirds in the New Testament. And Paul was saying, listen, if you get around people who've got all this time in their hands, they're not doing anything, but all they're doing is disrupting and trying to divide you and separate you from what is the Word of God and what's being brought to you. If these people don't live according to the pattern of the teaching of the sound gospel that we are giving, then you will be careful. They are disruptive and you shouldn't have anything to do with them. All right. And just one more scripture, Proverbs 23, verse 6. It says, do not eat the food of a begrudging host, do not crave his delicacies. Do you know, it's just basically talking, just be careful who you do life with. Just be really careful who you do life with. So boundaries. I believe there should be boundaries in marriage. I believe conversations, there are some conversations that a husband and wife should have with each other and should never be repeated to another person. And I've seen things go wrong when people lack wisdom and they share with something about their spouse that you and your spouse are trying to work out and navigate through and then you go around telling all your friends about what your spouse is thinking and doing. You've won your friends to your point of view. You've built resentment of your friends towards your spouse and then that really dooms your spouse and sends him or her because their reputation has been, been scarred. And you're the one that's guarded. You've got to leave room for people to change. And there's got to be boundaries. That doesn't mean we don't seek help and get wisdom and guidance, but we're careful. There's some conversations. And, and I just think the Bible, we've got to remove anything. This is a big boundary for married couples. You got to, the Bible says a three-chord strand is not easily broken. And, and, and the moment you bring a third person into your marriage, you've already introduced problems. So if it's your mother-in-law, your father-in-law, your mom, your dad, your close friend, and they are the third chord. You, before you make a decision to marry a couple, you, you include someone else's decision-making process and thoughts into the process. You've already got problems. It is actually a third chord strand is not easily broken. Now, I'm not a climber. I'm not a rappeller. I've done rappelling. It's kind of fun. I like the way the Aussies do it. The Aussies don't do it facing the rock. They do it face down. That's my idea of rappelling. If you're going to rappel, at least see where you're going and man up and do it the fun way. Praise the Lord. Man, I you know what I want to be? I want to be the window cleaner on the tallest buildings in New York. I want to be the guy that changes the light bulb on the entire Empire State Building sphere. I want that job. If anybody can, I'll pay to do that job. But I'm told that when you are repelling, a three-chord rope is stronger than a two-chord rope. As a matter of fact, it's really hard to break a three-chord strand. So it's you, your spouse, and the Lord. Nothing and nobody else should be the third chord. Why? Because it's not easily broken. That person has too much say in your relationship. The only third entity, person that should be in your relationship is the Lord. It shouldn't even be a pastor. Amen. If I'm going to tell you how to live, I'm going to pay your rent. Amen. So I just want to encourage us here. Think about this boundaries with friends. And I think we need to remove anything or anyone 
other than Jesus being the third cord. Come on, somebody. Uh, boundaries with self-respect. You will not speak to me like that, and you will not treat me like that. Boundaries with words. You know, I'm a person of faith. I am a person of faith. Everything we've done here at Wave Church has been by faith. I'm telling you, it has been. You don't build these sorts of facilities without some faith. Amen? And so, you know, Seaboard Road, praise the Lord. By the grace of God, it's paid off. The land and the building, debt-free. Isn't that good news? <laughs> Norfolk, by the grace of God, the land and the building, debt-free. Great neck. We still got some debt on this place. But that's going to be a goal for our future, wanting to even see that being broken down and eliminated. And who's going to believe with me to see that happen? Amen? Because there's more we want to do. And so here's the thing. I'm a person that lives with this principle. I, if I'm going to be a faith person, there are some things I can't say. I've got boundaries. I, there's some things I, they'll, they'll never get saved. Can't say that. They'll never get healed. I can't say that. Because life and death are in the power of the tongue. You're looking at somebody, he's got a filter on his words. Because I live by this principle, always only faith. I choose to walk by faith and not by sight. So I'm, I'm not going to say to my wife, you'll never change. Because that's actually, Adam created the world he lived in like God did. God said to Adam, now you name all the animals. You name this woman I've given you. And he named her woman, Eve, for she was taken out of man. And so Adam created the world he lived in with the words he spoke, just like God created the world we live in with the words he spoke. He said, let there be light, there was light. God has given us the ability with our words to bring life or death. So I'm very careful with my words. I'm not going to say things like, we'll never buy a house. Well, I did. But I realized life and death in the power of the tongue. We'll never get out of debt. We'll never pay off that mortgage. We'll never do this. We'll never have a vacation. No, no, no. I've got boundaries with my words. And sometimes I've had to say, well, given the current situation that is in front of us, we choose not to buy a house right now. But it doesn't mean we can't live by faith and dream and believe God for what our future will look like. You say, what's the difference between saying we'll never buy a house and we choose not to buy one right now? Life and death. Amen? Saying we'll never buy one says my economy and my circumstances are in control of my decisions. But saying we choose not to buy one now says I've got the power of choice and I'm making a decision right now, not right now. Is this helping anybody? Just boundaries. Just learning to live a life of wisdom so you don't sentence yourself to doom and gloom. Boundaries in our lifestyle. Amen. All those verses we just read, boundaries in family. For us, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Who can say amen to that? Okay, boundaries with money. The first, first 10% of all my income always belongs to the Lord. It's never an issue. It's never a question. It's never even a struggle. The first 10% of anything that comes into my life in terms of income, I give it to God. I'm teaching my grandchildren. My, my granddaughter just read the Bible from cover to cover twice. 
I said, you do that. I'll give you $75 every time you read the Bible from cover to cover. By the way, that's called wisdom. Teaching your kids to read and teaching them to read the Word of God and giving them incentive to doing it. She asked to tell me what she read, and I said, tell me what you read. I now owe my daughter, a hundred granddaughter, $150. So now we've renegotiated the contract. I'm not going to be so generous because I didn't realize she'd read the Bible from cover to cover so quick. But I want to tell you the Word of God's getting into her. Amen. Boundaries with time, boundaries with friendships. Boundaries with self-respect. We don't live with or tolerate abusive behavior. I will not allow you to talk to me like that because self-respect is important. Who can say amen? So I got this, this graph. I got to put it up there. Let's real quick. Let's go to this. Can we go down to the graph here? I want to show you what before boundaries and after boundaries look like. Let me just show you this, okay? Before you have boundaries, you would say this, stop yelling at me. You must be nicer. But after you figure out what boundaries look like, this might be a good conversation. You can continue, continue to yell if you choose to, but I will not choose to be in your presence when you act that way. Here's another one. This is out of a book called Boundaries by Dr. Townsend and uh, McLeod. Um, you've just got, this is another one. You've just got to stop drinking. It's ruining our family. Please listen. You're wrecking our lives. That's before a boundary. What does it sound like when you build a boundary? You may choose not to deal with your drinking if you want, but I will not continue to expose myself and the children to this chaos. The next time you are drunk, we will go to the Wilsons, we just picked a name, for the night, and we will tell them why we are there. Your drinking is your choice, but I will not put up with, sorry, but what I put with is mine. What I put up with is mine. I like that. It's just learning how to deal with boundaries. Look at this one. You're a pervert. You look at pornography. This is so degrading. What kind of sick person are you anyway? Well, maybe that's before a boundary, but maybe after a boundary, it might sound like this. I will choose, listen, I will not choose to share you sexually with, a naked, with naked women in magazines. It is up to you. I will only sleep with someone who is interested in me. Make up your mind and choose. I think right there we could give the Lord a hand for that. <laughs> Boundaries. I would highly recommend this book, Dr. Townsend and uh, Henry McLeod. It's a phenomenal book on boundaries. And I just want to maybe just provoke the thought this morning. This is a subject that could take a whole six weeks. But if you read the book, it will really help you. Some people don't like this book. And I'll tell you who the people are who don't like it. Narcissistic, controlling, manipulating people don't like this book because the gig is up. Amen? People who are codependent will not like this book because they're safe in their codependency. But it really will help you if you want to figure out how to live a life of wisdom. 
The bridges is simply this. The Bible says Jesus sat and he ate with sinners and he welcomed them. So here's the point. Every time I've studied this, every time Jesus sat, ate with sinners, whether it be the woman who was the prostitute, that actually the Bible talks about a woman who let down her hair, a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Any time that Jesus was with sinners, because the Bible's saying we should, it's not saying we shouldn't have anything to do with sinners because we should be reaching out to them. Because we're all sinners saved by the grace of God. Amen. But every time Jesus interacted with drunkards and publicans and tax collectors, people who were known to be sinful, it was always Jesus influencing them. It was never them influencing him. Every single time. And all you got to do is figure out who's influencing who as to whether this is a healthy or an unhealthy relationship. The Bible says we're in the world. We're not of the world. I don't like, and, and hear me, some of you, I want you to hear the context of this. I'm not still to this day the biggest proponent. See, the, let me put it this way. Let me, let me start by saying this, and I'm going to close now. Singers, musicians, come on back. The Bible says, come out from among them and be ye separate. So the Bible's calling us to come out, boundary, and be ye separate. It does not say, come out from among them and be ye isolated. If we have no non-Christian friends, all as we are, is prisoners within a religious culture. We're called to reach this world. We're called to build bridges. We're called to be in the world. We're just not called to be of the world. So now having said that, that's why I still to this day believe that Christians should always consider public schools as still with everything that's going on a good option if you have confidence in your parenting. Because if we take everybody out of the public schools, I want to tell you, the Bible says we're the salt of the earth. We're the light. I'm not against Christian school. You understand? My daughter went to a Christian school. So I'm not against it. But if your reason for taking them out of the public school is motivated by fear and a lack of confidence in your own ability to bring up a child in the way that they shall go. and when they're See, what we do is, I mean, my own daughter went to a Christian school. And we asked her just recently of the whole class that was in your high school, how many of them are still going on for God today? In the whole class, I think she said there was three that were still serving the Lord today. A Christian school is not a guarantee. There's got to be more to it than just the Christian school. And even just going to church, pastor, your job is to teach my young people and teach the kids. No, I'm holding you accountable, dad, for how you're raising your family. And if you think the answer is just church and Christian school and Christian university and then get a Christian job and be around Christians, no, 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 no. My friend, you are missing the whole point. We are here to be salt and life. We're in the world. We're just not of it. Can you say amen? And I actually think the devil has very cleverly rewritten that verse for some Christians. And I think when the Bible says, come out from among them, and be separated, I think the devil's come up with a counterfeit. And I think the devil's counterfeit within the church is come out from among them and be isolated. Because if we have nothing to do with this world, then we're not the salt of the earth. We're not the light of the world. All we are is prisoners within a religious culture. And what I've sought to do today is teach you just some Bible verses and how to live with boundaries 
so that we can go into the world and know how to live our life with wisdom and principles of Scripture. Can you say amen? All right, I'm closing, I promise. I love this. Watch this. Luke 7, verse 34. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Here's Jesus speaking. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. That's what everybody does, by the way. And you say he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Listen to what Jesus said another time answering this. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Luke 5, verse 32. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners, watch this, to repentance. I remember Sharon and I sat down with a couple and uh, when, they, when they came to our world, they were very broken. Their marriage was on the rocks. It was a very sad, tragic story. They got in church and they got in the community group and they got amongst other Christians and their life really improved. Young married group and you know, young, young married couple. And then he got this great job working in a company that actually had a lot of Christians employed in the company. And then, of course, they had the ability to put their kids in a Christian school, which I, again, I'm for. And, and, and then over the course of time, as just life happens and journey happens, they, they just found themselves getting jaded with church and jaded. And they, I remember one time they, they came and met with Sharon and I, and we sat down with them and said, hey, guys, what, what's, what's up? And, and, and long story cut short, they said, well, we're just not going to be part of the church anymore. I said, that's okay. Just tell me, what church are you going to go to? Well, we don't need church. And I looked at them, I said, oh, gee, I'm sorry, but you kind of do. And I get it. You don't like us. That's okay. You don't have to like us. It's, you know, no one's forcing you to come to wave. But please, stay in church. No, no. I have a Christian job. My kids are in a Christian school. I don't need church anymore. And I went, my friend, you are so, I need church. I need church as much as you do. The Bible says, do not neglect the gathering together of the saints. As some are in the habit of doing COVID has created some very unhealthy habits. Everybody watching online, we love you. And we're so glad you are with us online. Amen. But I'd encourage you to go to church. Be a part of a church. Be a part of the atmosphere of worship. I'm glad you're online. I want you to stay online. If nothing else, do that. But I'm wanting to talk to us about boundaries and bridges. I'm going to do this for one more week, and we're going to finish this out as a mini-series next Sunday. I want to just really bear this out a little bit more. Anybody receive the word today? Amen.